Have you ever found yourself in a position where you have to go the extra mile to prove you're not racist? You might think, it's not my problem when people of color are offended by things you inadvertently say or do, but that's why this podcast is here, to challenge you to do better. Because when you know better, you do better. Welcome to the Not My Problem podcast. Hey everyone, I am your host, Marianna Knight, and I'm really grateful that you're back. Uh, So just some quick housekeeping things. For the remainder of this podcast, I recommend that you listen to them in chronological chronological order, as many episodes will reference information given in previous episodes. Uh, To be able to receive the messages being given throughout this podcast, it's really important that we start with discussing and understanding defensiveness and how it stops us from being able to learn more about racism and the experiences of other people. A lot of information in this episode uh, and further episodes throughout this podcast will be inspired by a book called White Fragility, written by Dr. Robin D'Angelo. If you haven't read her book, I highly recommend it. Last episode, I briefly mentioned lessons white people are taught from childhood, and I'd like to spend some time dissecting them a little bit further. I feel comfortable and confident saying that most white parents don't talk about race uh, in, in our homes. If we do mention race, we're usually referring to a person of color and not ourselves. Even then, you might be able to recall a time hearing a story that uh, went along these lines. So there's a girl at my job and uh, she, well, you know, she's, you know, she's uh, black. We talk about race so little that sometimes it becomes a taboo subject. And we may also feel a sense of shame when having a conversation that includes race. We don't typically view ourselves in racial terms either. Uh, So I feel pretty confident saying that most white parents typically raise children not to see race. Uh, We instill an idea that race doesn't matter. I don't think that most of us are doing this to be malicious or evil. I actually think that we do it in an attempt to be inclusive. Um, But these messages make it difficult for us to recognize when racial inequalities happen. Learning that race doesn't matter makes it really, really hard for us to have conversations that include it. So I'd like like to ask all of you to participate in a really quick activity. Um, It might involve pausing the podcast for a moment, so uh, be prepared to do that. So I'd like to ask all of you to think about how you define a racist. Okay, so if needed, you can pause the podcast to develop your answer, but I'd like for you all to take a moment to think about what that definition looks like for you. Did your definition of a racist involve an individual act of hatred? Did it look like a description of somebody uh, that you would see in the KKK? Did you define it as a person who's actively or openly or even consciously hates black people or people of another race? If it did, you're thinking about racists in their most blatant form. You're thinking about racism in its most blatant form. So I wanna be clear that when I'm discussing racist ideas or thoughts, I'm not referring to the KKK, and I'm not referring to you as a completely immoral human being. 
when I'm referring to racist thoughts and ideas, uh, I, I don't think that you're walking down the street kicking black children. Uh, I don't think that you hate people of other races. Uh, I don't think that you don't want to talk or can't stand to be around people of other races. And it's really, really extremely important that you know that. Uh, because racism can disguise itself in ways that are unrecognizable to us after being raised with the notion that we shouldn't see race. Uh, having a true and solid definition of racism is critical, so I really, really want to encourage you to listen to next week's episode because I'm going to be covering uh, some really complicated definitions more in depth. So, my hope is that you're grateful for the information given to you in this podcast so that we can become better allies to people of color. And uh, I'm giving you this information about racist behavior strictly so that you can use the information to reflect in your biases and seek more information if needed. So I'm going to ask that you please not hear Klansmen when I say something is racist because racism appears in so many forms. Uh, which we'll be exploring throughout the, the rest of this podcast series. So something worth noting is that even Chris Barker, so if you're not familiar with Chris Barker, he uh, is a leader of the KKK. Um, he denies being a racist. Uh, he says he's not racist and he, and he claims that he loves all people. The reason I'm bringing this up is because racism can be really hard to identify yourself and I'm bringing this up to point out how important and how helpful and how valuable the feedback is when we get it from somebody who's telling us that we're doing something or saying something racist. It's important that we receive the feedback without getting defensive. If we cannot move past our defensiveness, we will not be able to have the conversations that are needed uh, to help our society move forward. We will not be able to understand the messages we need to progress our mindset if we constantly argue that what we're doing isn't wrong. If you cannot overcome your defensiveness, you won't be able to receive the information given to you for the rest of this podcast. So I want to talk a little bit about what defensive behavior looks like and what I am referring to. So as you listen to this episode and others, Try to catch these reactions as you feel them arise. Uh, perhaps write them down, uh, write down how you're feeling and come back to it later if you need to. But I'm going to ask that you please do not allow these feelings to stop you from moving forward with the podcast and stop you from moving forward with receiving the information that I'm going to be giving to you. There are often patterns of reactions received from white people when confronted about race or uh, topics surrounding it. Um, as open-minded and progressive as we think we are, we tend to respond to these discussions very, very predictably. So some of the predictable patterns that are seen are as follows. So we have number one, we defend our statement by trying to justify it. So for example, what that would look like is, oh, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean to say a black area. I meant to say it was a poor area, right? So we'll try to take our statement uh, and justify how we didn't mean for it to be racist. Number two, uh, we minimize issues that are affecting people of color at higher levels by bringing up a perceived racial injustice that another white person has experienced. Uh, so for example, uh, 
that might look like, uh, oh, I, I wasn't hired for a job because I'm white. So I'm not saying a, a white person may never experience a prejudice comment. And I'm not saying that a white person may never experience discrimination, uh, but it happens far less often than it does to um, a person of color and that it does to uh, somebody who is black. To use any perceived racial inequalities we face is a deflection, okay? It's it's taking away the attention from the topic that that is being discussed, and it really minimizes a bigger issue at hand. So again, I'm not saying that we don't experience any occasional prejudice. I'm not saying we don't ever experience discrimination, but I'm saying it doesn't happen at the same rate um, as it does to people of color. Number three, we talk about how hard our life has been as an attempt to identify with the quote unquote struggle. So this might look like comments of, um, oh, I grew up in a black neighborhood or my parents worked hard. I struggled. Or um, this might even look like, well, my parents were immigrants from, and then insert your favorite European country. So Poland or Ireland or Italy, uh, and they face discrimination too. So I'm not discrediting that, right? I'm not saying that any of that is untrue. But what I am saying is that while all of those things might be true, it's not possible for any of those examples to compare to the racial injustice that we're seeing people of color and specifically black people facing in the United States. Number four, we reference a black friend or a spouse or a family member as an attempt to disprove the accusation being made. So uh, an example of how that would look is... Um, well, I have a black friend or um, I work in a diverse work environment. There's, I work with so, plenty of black people. I share an office with a black person. Um, as I mentioned before, racism can look many ways. So having a black friend, family member, spouse, even a child, it doesn't make it impossible for you to be racist. Number five, we reassure the person who's accusing us of being racist uh, that we don't see color. So we'll, we'll claim to be colorblind. Uh, that will look like comments of, um, well, I don't care if the person is blue, green, or polka dotted. Uh, I'm sure we've, you've heard that before. Um, and we'll ensure that we judge people by who they are, not by how they look. Number six, we cry. Uh, we feel guilty or responsible, or cornered, or uh, sometimes we just feel downright bad that we messed up and we possibly offended somebody or hurt their feelings. Um, crying makes this conversation really hard uh, for the person giving you the information. It goes from someone giving us information about something hurtful we said to them to then it turning into them feeling uncomfortable and feeling like they need to comfort us. It's not fair. I find this really to be one of the most unfair reactions we could have uh, when someone is trying to give us constructive feedback on an already really difficult topic. The conversation switches from their need, from their needs being met to ours. So number seven, we deflect or change the subject. Um, 
we make comments like, oh, you're just sensitive or um, you you always bring this up or we'll, we'll find a way. Everything always has to be about race. Um, so we'll find a way to change the subject to avoid being held accountable. Number eight, we act like we already get it. And that's dangerous because it really causes us to ignore the message being given. I think white people who consider themselves to be progressive have the most difficult time receiving feedback. Uh, so I'm one of those people. <laughs> I consider myself to have more uh, progressive thoughts about race. And I think sometimes that can make it really hard to get through to a more progressive white person because we think we already get it. So we shut the conversation down without, uh, we shut it down immediately without, yeah, yeah, no, no, I get it, I get it. And we stop listening and we mute the person who is giving us really valuable information. Number nine, we claim that, we'll make a claim that exempts us. Okay, so for example, um, what that would look like is, um, oh, I haven't been, I, I wasn't taught to be racist, so there's no way I could be racist. Or my parents weren't racist, so it's just not possible for me to be. Um, or you don't know me. Um, or you're judging me. Or uh, you know what, I hear what you're saying about race, but the way you're talking about it isn't right. You're not giving me information in the right way. So we'll find a way to make a claim that discredits what the other person is saying to you. Uh, number 10, we'll hold a person of color responsible for the oppression that they're experiencing. Number 11, we'll claim that a focus on race is what divides us. Um, uh, we'll claim the more we focus on race and give it a spotlight, the more it's dividing the country. And we'll try to use that again as a way to discredit receiving the information that's being given to us. Um, a lot of these, all of these issues that I, all of these defense mechanisms that I just mentioned, they're complex. And I'm going to be addressing most of them in further episodes. But for today, um, I wanted you to be familiar with them uh, so that when they come up for you through the rest of this podcast, you can identify what's going on. So I'd like to share with you a quick example of how some of these defense mechanisms may look by telling you about a recent experience I had with someone. So recently I was with somebody and they made a comment to me that I found to be racist and offensive. So she made a comment that a local predominantly black school, uh, quote unquote, used to be good several years ago when it was predominantly white. Then she said that it was not bad until more black kids started attending. So I let her know that I found the comments to be offensive and racist. Her face dropped immediately. So I quickly, I let her know that I wasn't mad at her, but I really wanted her to spend time thinking about how her comments could be hurtful. I encouraged her to reflect on her comments and that I found this conversation really, really important to have. Um, especially with the state of the country, I let her know that I found it really important to reflect on our comments and to spend some time thinking about uh, how they could be hurtful and where those comments were coming from within her. So then she immediately began to justify what she really meant, quote unquote, 
She assured me that she didn't see color and that she loves everyone from all races. Uh, she let me know that she's not a racist. Uh, and then she started crying. So she quickly, uh, after she started crying, uh, ended the conversation blaming me for uh, making the conversation about race. So needless to say, I left the conversation feeling unheard. And I really wasn't even sure if she heard uh, anything that I said or if she even took anything away from the conversation that we had. So now, do I think she's a Klansman? Absolutely not. Uh, do I think she hates Black people? No, I don't. Um, I think she holds racial biases that she's unaware of, just like the rest of us. Uh, and I think that her biases have gone unchecked for many years. If we spend time defending our racist bias and comments, we miss out. So I feel like she spent a lot of time defending why she made her comment, that she missed out on some really valuable information that I was giving her about why it was offensive. Um, and if we do this, we miss out so greatly. We miss out on such a beautiful opportunity to learn and hear how we hurt someone. And we miss out on such a great learning opportunity to see how we can do better. Right. Because if we're doing something that we don't want to be doing and someone gives us feedback to say, hey, you did that. You did something that you don't want to be doing. We should be you would think, right, that we would be grateful and say, oh, my goodness. Thank you. I don't. Oh, my God. Thank you. I don't want to do that again. Thank you so much for, for letting me know. So what are some better ways for us to respond? So let's review some of those. So we have number one. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for trusting me to do better. And thank you for making yourself vulnerable enough to share that with me. Because after all, I don't think a person would even confront a racist thought or idea that you have if they didn't feel comfortable and if they didn't really care about you. Number two, I'm sorry. I'll reflect on this. And then do that. If you really can't figure out where you went wrong, Take some initiative and look it up. There's, there is so much information if you just take the initiative and the time to find it. Number three, I'm really sorry that I missed that. Is there anything else that I missed? Number four, thank you for bringing this to my attention. I wouldn't want to do that again. Number five, thank you. This was really helpful and I'm sorry. So, Let's think about the feelings that come up for us when asked to address the racist idea. The feelings we usually experience are singled out, attacked, silenced, shamed, uh, guilty, accused, insulted, judged, angry, and scared. I'm asking that you work to replace those feelings with gratitude for being informed. Uh, for excitement, for getting new insight, interest to learn more, and motivation to do better. I'm asking that we be grateful that a friend or family member loves and trusts us so much that they're willing to bring these issues to our attention. I'd like you to take this episode with you into all other episodes of the podcast. I want you to, if needed, revisit this podcast, revisit this episode, 
if you find yourself getting defensive about any of the information that will be shared in following episodes. It's really important that we're able to get past it because if we can't, we will not hear any messages and the conversation will stop with us. So let's talk about what the call for action for this week will be. So I'd like to start with this. It's okay to talk about racism in your home. Really, I think it's ideal. It's okay to talk about racism. It's okay to talk about race. Talk about what it looks like. Talk about what your child can do if they see it happening. Talk about what your son, your daughter, your spouse, have these conversations amongst each other. What can we do if we see it happening? Also, I think it's really, really important to know that we are not the judge of whether racism has occurred. Racism is complex, and we don't have to understand every nuance of it to validate the feedback that we get. We're responsible to check our biases our biases to ensure that we don't do it again. I mean, after all, why wouldn't you want to be better? All right, everyone. So that's all for today. Um, if you think you'd like to be a guest on our show um, or would like to send a message, please feel free to do that. Um, if you'd like to be a guest, you can send us a message um, on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash not my problem podcast. Um, or if you have a message or anything you'd like to share, please feel free to do that. Um, and I would like to thank you all for listening and I will talk to you soon. Thank you and be well.